shall we pray father we thank you for today today's portion of grace we love and honor you in jesus name amen i am asked by a lot of people uh, obviously young proteges and young people who desire to know god this particular question how did you get there now my first response without pretense always has been i don't know what you're talking about because i can't know myself to have apprehended i can't pretend to know what you're talking about it's just a quest for spirituality it's just a hunger to walk with god maybe they see the manifestation of the gift of the spirit or maybe they see the presence of god in our meetings and the desire or maybe they listen to my preaching and they see that i have an understanding into the things of the spirit or an intimate walk with god and the desire and because i have a lot of proteges and people i seek to mentor and uh, obviously being a pastor and a prophet for that matter train people in godliness i try to answer this question and please it has nothing to do with thinking i know something or i count myself to have apprehended actually it's been said that a true measure of somebody's spirituality is his hunger and his level of dependency on god you see we need to understand the extreme sometimes you can say that well it's up to god or god is sovereign and so god will do it at his time and god can do all things and by that abdicate your responsibility of doing things god said you should do or you are empowered to do or you are anointed to do or you have been graced to do and just leave everything and say well god is sovereign he will do it when he wants to do it there's that extreme and there's also one other dangerous side also where we feel we know it all we know the formula we can do it we figure everything out and so Charlie, just watch and let us shake ourselves our help has always been the grace of god and our greatest resource has been the word of god and the holy spirit and i tell people with these two entities or these two blocks of resource at your disposal you should not be afraid to step by faith into the supernatural everybody say a big amen to just buttress what i said let's read philippians 3 we read all the way from verse 1 to verse 13 let's put it on the screen finally my brethren rejoice in the lord to write the same things to you again to me indeed is not grievous or exome or cumbersome or you know difficult but for you it is safe when you see repetitions in the bible god says it's for a reason i say rejoice i've said it again again rejoice to write the same things to you again is not exome it's not difficult for me it's not grievous and for you it's safe beware of dogs beware of evil workers beware of concision concision there is circumcision beware of the you know the jews who try to push the law ahead of the new testament the spirit and grace okay for we are the circumcision you see the last statement was beware of the concision or beware of the circumcision because we are the circumcision who worship god in the spirit and rejoice in christ Jesus, and i'm no confident in the flesh let me pause here we are the circumcision we the believers those of us who are born again we are the circumcision why because our flesh is cut off the whole essence of circumcision is the cutting away of the flesh the body of sin those of you who've been around for some time we've explained to you the whole thing about circumcision when a child is born a male is born he has a foreskin a skin that covers his manhood that skin has a very funny mouth 
when you bath the child, you think that the child is clean. But the mouth of that sack is such that you finish bathing the child, but dirt is still hiding in there because of the mouth of the foreskin, the way it's designed. That dirt symbolically is seen. When you circumcise the boy, then what actually happens in the circumcision is they just remove the foreskin, they just take that skin off, and so now no dirt can hide nowhere. That thing also covers the most sensitive part of the man's sexual organ. So it decreases his sensitivity and so his fulfillment in lovemaking. We're supposed to be sensitive. We don't need any thick skin around our heart. That was the whole import or the significance. God said in Jeremiah 4, 4, he says, circumcise your heart, not your foreskin. This whole thing was just a typology. It was just a shadow of the real thing. He gave circumcision to Abraham, not because of the male organ per se, but the heart. Now, when you are born again, your heart is circumcised. The thick skin, that makes you callous, insensitive. You know, the unbeliever lives in sin. I know some of you, if you should get into fornication one day, your whole day is messed up, or your whole mental, your whole year is messed up. But I don't believe that's what he does, and he's very fine about it. He doesn't even see anything wrong with it. It's very normal. It's very normal for an unbeliever to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or sleep with his fiancée. Or... It's very normal because the foreskin around the heart has made him insensitive or callous. And yet, those guys who practice circumcision in the flesh making too much noise about we who are actually circumcised. The Jews. So it says, Beware of the concession or the circumcision. For we are the circumcision, we worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus. And we have no confidence in the flesh. You see the point? We don't have any confidence in the flesh because our flesh has been cut off. We don't have any, nothing to boast about. I can boast about my education. I don't even have one. I can boast about money. I don't even have one. But even those things that are gained to me, those things that I could have boasted about, so let's read it without commentary because this is not what I want to talk about. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, though I may have occasion, opportunity to boast about certain attainments or certain things that I had, if any man think that he had word of him, I trust in the flesh, I more. If anybody thinks that he has something to boast about, now I was talking to the Jews now. I have more. And it's interesting to know that he didn't even mention physical things, he even mentioned spiritual things. I'm like, oh Paul, you're too spiritual. He said, if anybody thinks he has anything he could boast about in the flesh, he has more. And interestingly, he didn't mention money or even... And look at the things he even mentioned. They're spiritual things. Okay? I mean, to the Jew. Let's go. Circumcise the eighth day. Look at that. Of the stock of the tribe of Benjamin. And Hebrew of the Hebrew. I'm not half Jew. I'm a proper Jew. And Hebrew of Hebrews. As touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching righteousness of the law, blameless. Oh, is it not beautiful? But what things were gained to me? Look at that. But what things were gained to me? Those I counted loss for Christ. He traded all his credentials for Christ. What about Christ? Uh huh. Yeah, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. That's the point. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, the excelling knowledge of Christ. Knowing Christ is more excellent than all those spiritual attainments. He was a Pharisee. It's the highest order of Jews who kept the law. And he was blameless. He kept the whole law. 
But what things were gained to me, those I count loss for Christ. Yeah, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, my Lord. So he's talking about the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Knowing Christ. There's nothing more excellent like knowing Christ. So trade everything to know Christ. I'm going to say that again. Trade everything. Trade church. Trade pedigree. Trade everything. Amen? Sometimes people come to church and they have been in church for some time. And so they feel they are old. And so that's the danger about it. If you stay in church for a long time and you don't grow. Sometimes people are in church and uh, you give them posts. You finish them. You kill them. That's why a novice should not be a deacon. Because if you make him a deacon, he thinks he's now matured. So when you are preaching, he thinks the guys should take it. He's not taking instructions. And he stops growing. Trade everything for Christ. Trade everything for the knowledge of Christ. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do come them down that I may win Christ. I taught on this in a more elaborate way. I taught on the price for excellence in life and in ministry. I want you to go and get a CD. I taught about excellence in life, excellence in ministry. I taught about the price for excellence in ministry. I taught about success in life and ministry. And the Lord showed me some very important things and I shared them. You see, he's using a trade analogy. You sell something to buy something or you give something to gain something. And there were things he lost for Christ. You can be a believer and not lose anything for Christ. When you got born again, you have not won Christ yet. As a matter of fact, you have Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. But you have to apprehend that for which you are apprehended. You have to lay hold on him. And I taught you here that the word apprehend is the word comprehend. The word comprehend is to apprehend. And the word is grasp or to have a grip on something. They both mean to lay hold and seize. To seize and lay hold family. Now in spiritual things, what you comprehend is what you apprehend. When you understand it fully, you have grasped. Now, so you start knowing the Lord and you know a little bit about him until you fully lay hold on him. That I may win Christ. Now let's finish up. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, righteousness which is of God by faith. Uh-huh. That I may know him. Look at that. That's the goal. That's the goal. Not that I may receive prophecy. Not that I may be healed. Not that I may prosper. Actually, it's young believers who look for prosperity. Because they don't understand they are already prosperous. If I'm not even glorification, because we've been glorified. Yes, there are degrees of glory. Bible said then that he justified, he glorified. So even at new birth, you are glorified. You are a baby God. Yes, we grow in glory. But though it's linked with the knowledge of Christ, it's not a goal per se. The excellence of knowledge of Christ is not knowing about Christ. It's knowing Christ. There are two different things. You see, the unbeliever knows about God. You remember? Even believes there is God. And Bible says demons also believe. And they tremble. So there is nothing pious about you believing that there is one God. But when you give your life to Jesus, then you know the Lord. But that's the beginning of the knowledge of the ways of God. That's the beginning of revelation. That's when light comes into your heart. But you need more light through the supply of the Spirit. As your pastor, believers, pray for you. Then your heart is flooded with light. Then you have a revelation. And the first 
things you need to know is the hope of your calling why you are called then what is the riches of the glory of god's inheritance in you that's who you are then the exceeding greatness of his power towards all who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in christ the ultimate power which was demonstrated and exerted in christ and released to us understanding the mystery of we being the body of jesus jesus being the head we in the same body or we being the same body then the latter part of paul's prayer in ephesians you know paul prayed two prayers two essential prayers and when you check he said i cease not to pray in colossians say i cease not so it's something he kept praying because you must keep knowing the lord we'll get there in a minute but the second prayer he prayed in ephesians from verse 14 when he bowed his knees he says that god will grant you out of the riches of his glory out of the riches of his glory that you be strengthened in the inner man with all might by his spirit that christ may dwell in your heart by faith by you being granted and rooted in love may comprehend with all the saints may apprehend you see what's the length breadth height depth, and to know the love of christ with passive knowledge and then be filled with the fullness of god we've talked about that that a goal is to be filled with all the fullness of god that i may know him and the power of his resurrection and i thought on that when i thought about the price for excellence in ministry in life and ministry the two most important things to know in christ are the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and i'm not going to talk about that because though the resurrection is more important the resurrection works via the dying so bearing daily the dying of the lord in our body that his power also will be manifest the way the resurrection power works is it works through the dying and it's not a one-time event yes jesus died and rose but we talk about jesus being the way is a living way so the death and resurrection of jesus was not just one event that ended jesus you know you look at a throne and you see a lamb that was slain from the foundation the man is still dripping with blood dead but alive that's the resurrection dying and living now there is a revelation knowledge and an experiential knowledge first you need a revelation knowledge which is god opens your eyes to understand to comprehend but then you need an experiential knowledge if i want to say to know length breadth height death he was talking about experientially it's just like i know christ died for me and i said i know it and i'm not born again is that knowledge authentic talk to me i know that when i confess jesus as my lord and personal savior i'll be saved and yet i didn't confess jesus as my lord and personal savior. i'm not born again can i say i really know it i don't even have a revelation knowledge let alone experiential knowledge so he says that that we may comprehend with all the saints what is the length breadth it says height and depth and to know the love of christ with passive knowledge the amplified versions explains it which passed mere knowledge experiential knowledge when a believer begins to die for the lord that is where you have the experiential knowledge that's what he's saying here the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto him in his death when daddy walks to church last week and brought a three thousand ghana cities for our building project and gave us some other monies for the convention we just did you want to ask how much is his salary 
Yeah, I'm just being frank. There are people who can write a check of $2,000. It really won't affect them. Let alone kill them. But if somebody is giving all his salary and he has responsibility, the man is literally killing himself for the sake of Christ. So there's nobody who dies for the Lord without knowing, without feeling it. Take literally. You go through a process before you die. And he says that, and I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. They've even added the S to it. Being made conformable, I want to suffer until I'm at par with the suffering of Jesus. When you put me and Jesus down, our suffering is, should be equal. Or at least, I should resemble him in his death. You know what? Because of the glory. Well, that's not my subject, really. Maybe I should have gone to just verse 14 and just say what I want to say and then move on and show you some few things here. 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And we explain that resurrection is not attainment. Everybody who is born again is resurrected, number one, and will resurrect. His body will resurrect in the last day. But when Paul said attain here, and he was playing on words and, and he was talking about a moral resurrection. A spiritual and a moral resurrection. Actually, what Paul meant is that I want to resurrect while I'm not even dead physically. The amplifier explains it. That, if possible, I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me up out of among the dead even while in the body. Alright, let's finish up. Not as though I had already attained. This Paul, think about it. In Prophet Manasseh, not as though I've already attained, you know it's obvious. I mean, how many branches does he have? How many people are in his church? How many places has he preached? So it's obvious. Amen. But Paul said, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I'm also apprehended of Christ Jesus. You see, the quest and the hunger and the desire and the passion. You know, last Monday, I almost reprimanded some people. Or somebody for being a charismatic church for five years and not speaking in tongues. I felt that was irresponsible. If you're in a Methodist church or a Presby church, we understand. Because you can even get born again there and nobody will even use the term born again. Okay? You've received Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. Maybe they have another term for it. So you can be saved there. But the characteristic feature of a Pentecostal church... Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Of a Pentecostal church, baptism of the Holy Spirit. And charismatic church, the gifts of the Spirit. And a prophetic church, full-fledged prophetic manifestation. When we got born again, all we wanted was God. This tongue, me to let me speak small, and then Lord, let me just die. And go to heaven. So if you are, you are in a charismatic church, bah! and every time everybody, robot, so -ko -to -ko -to -ko -to, the thing is so sweet, and you don't desire and you don't care, and you don't want to ask, how do these people speak tongues? What am I supposed to do? And you don't care. Then I look at you, I'm like, like, seriously? I can't take it. This is somebody who is finishing his ministry. He wrote half of the New Testament. He had a mystery of God and a mystery of Christ revealed. And the mystery of the body of Christ, the church. Probably nobody like him, Paul incredible man and he's saying that 
I have not attained. I was not already made perfect. But I follow after. If that I may apprehend. I taught here before on the baptism of fire. Which is different from the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The baptism of fire is to be baptized with passion. The kind of zeal that consumes you. The whole import of fire is ability to consume in this contest. You are on fire. You are mad for Christ. You are a Christian fundamentalist, a fanatic. I told you that Paul is not necessarily more anointed than the men of God we have in this country. Not necessarily. In terms of stewardship of grace, maybe he's greater. But not necessarily most anointed. In fact, Peter was more anointed than Paul. In terms of miracles and manifestation. Because they will put sick people by the roadside in villages. They say, in case Peter passes. Not that the man is even coming to the city. They just put it down, just in case them, his shadows. That's how annoying. Peter preached once among 3,000. Boom, at once. And yet, Paul had something called zeal. Baptism of fire. If Paul should come to Accra right now, everybody will know this four feet, three inches dwarf. In fact, people don't know whether it's Zacchaeus or Paul who is shorter. Paul was four feet, three inches. He was a dwarf. In fact, it's been said that his very name means little man. He was a small man. And when this dwarf gets to Accra, there will be commotion. Everybody will know a man of God has arrived. Not even the miracles, though. Just the zeal. He can't understand why everybody should not hear the gospel. You hear it by force. He was a radical. He was a Christian fundamentalist. Somebody said, oh, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. He said, I wish you were like me, except these bonds. Let's finish. Brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended. For this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ. One time in the Gambia, lying down on that bed, dying out of exhaustion, I said, Holy Spirit, help me make it through this night because I knew I was going to die. And the Lord said, I have so much for you to do that you haven't done yet. And I said, Lord, tell me, where do these people get the energy from? Who do the things they do? The poor. So where do they get the energy from? Let me just give you something that can help you. Okay? So what are we looking at? People ask, how did you get there? Or how did you... And by that, they want to know how I came to understand the work with God or spiritual things or my spiritual insight or, or the presence of God and manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And I want to share it with you. Number one is knowing God. Number one is knowing God. And we've already established that hunger and test is the fuel and the incentive to know the Lord more. And a walk with God a walk with God which gives you experiential knowledge rather than just Still, under knowing God, so under knowing God, I wrote hunger and test. I wrote a walk with God. I think that 
our desires should not be in things. Not even in things we can get from God. Not even spiritual things that we can get from God. Our desire should be knowing the Lord and loving Him. I believe that that is what guarantees a walk with God. Enoch did not walk with God because he wanted a spouse or wanted money. Actually, God even said about Solomon that you didn't even ask for money or riches or for long life or for the head of your enemies. Can you get that? So that is a sincere pursuit. That is unfeigned love. It's not because of an, a hidden agenda. Your soul followed hard after God. And sometimes you have to be careful you don't allow anything to quench that test. When David became president, he didn't quench his test and his quest for God. He was very busy. Obviously, in those days, the king was still in charge of adjudicature. He was the highest judge of the land. He was still the speaker of parliament. He was still the chief executive. They were very busy, but he said ten times a day, he goes to the temple. Ten times a day, and seven out of the ten times was just to praise God. This is a man who loved God and walked with God. David loved God. David was in the wilderness, he loved God. When he was in the palace, he loved God. Nothing takes away the hunger. You think you are humble? Wait until you are promoted, then we can be sure you are humble. Will something change with your status? Will your heart change? Now, so it's a deliberate walk with God. You love God and you want to walk with Him. Nothing else matters. But another thing that helps so much in knowing God, and let me say this, with your walk with God, we're talking about fellowship. So reading your Bible, listening to Him, and prayer. What distinguishes or separates the big guys from the small guys? Spiritual men from young men is this one. When it comes to prayer, they are binding demons and casting devils and breaking family curses and claiming things. But the spiritual know that all things are already yours. And so what they do is, prayer is for communion. People, the purpose of prayer is communion, not to ask things. These things your heavenly father already knows. He said, these are the things the Gentiles ask for. The purpose of prayer is not to be asking things. Prophet, you mean we shouldn't ask? Oh, you, you can ask. And there are times to ask. But don't turn that rich experience. Wonderful, incredible experience of enjoying God into, I need this, I need that. Come on. You won't even go far. When Moses says, show me your glory, he knew what he was looking for. You think he was looking for power? Oh, when Moses opened the Red Sea, he didn't start the revival. It was very normal. He walked in the supernatural. He had even seen God face to face before he even later asked for his glory. But one of the things, still talking about knowing God, which is number one, one of the things I wrote under knowing God is revelations and encounters. Listen, there's a realm in the spirit where you cannot afford not to have revelation and encounters because that cements your knowledge of the things of the spirit. The leaf prints, you know the visual effects. That which we have heard, which we have seen and looked upon. I tell people that out of all your spiritual faculties, your seeing faculties is so important. 
that that which we have heard which we have looked which we have seen and looked upon when it comes to sight they mention it twice honey you have to see and see and see and some have to just gaze upon can i tell you this that's what you are getting to you get to a place when the lord passes through him or if he's walking through kaswa you know some of those things you can tell people you mentor one-on-one but you tell everybody like this and they're like ah there he goes again but i can tell you the exact distance between me and the lord anytime he comes around i can tell you there was one time i was preaching in a church for a friend and the lord walked into my hotel room at 2 a.m i didn't watch the time but i knew it was two i didn't watch the time there's a realm of revelation why you know you have received an unction from the holy one and you know all things and you see you need revelation and encounters to truly know some things yes i do agree that some of the things you have to it must happen to you physically like you suffer then you are knowing some things experientially but an encounter is a practical spiritual experience though it's in the realm of the spirit it is practical it's real it's real sometimes one encounter one spiritual encounter is more than 100 lessons when jesus came and sat by the bed of kenneth higgin and taught him eight hours on prophecy eight hours i had similar experience god came to my room and taught me on the fear of the law for four days he sat by my bed some things crumble some strongholds you can't tell me there's no heaven because i've been there but somebody can confuse you <laughs> that there's no heaven because you don't know you only heard apostles are witnesses that which we have heard which you have seen we've looked upon it's not what they say i know what i'm talking about and once i'm not insisting that we go after the spectacular and chase that which intrigues i'm saying that in knowing the lord you need a revelation and some people say how does it happen how does it happen i say well pastor ben taught us those who tarry longer than wine so how do we get booze how do we get booze just drink more that's how we get booze okay i give people the formula i said three hours prayer every day for six months you receive a tangible anointing i'm not talking of anointing within upon six hours of prayer every day for three months or three hours of prayer every day for six months cool you get your first anointing at least you can do, also do some things with it and it always works i can give you the formulas i know it you say where is it in the bible i can show you all one time jesus came to me and told me he said manasseh it takes one hour for an average person one hour in prayer to break into the spirit you know that's why i said can't you tell with me for just one hour it takes one hour for a natural man or for an ordinary person to break out of the flesh one hour in prayer to break into the spirit but for people who pray constantly prayer warriors people who pray constantly it takes them 20 minutes but when you keep praying your frequency you know decreases 
the time you spend trying to exit the flesh. As a matter of fact, in my consecration and prayer, I got to a place where it took me only three minutes. Three minutes to get out of the flesh. Three minutes in prayer. So three minutes into the prayer, boom, I'm in the realm of revelation. In other words, I could see Jesus. Are you here? Now, you need two to three hours. Okay, let me explain this. My protégés are enjoying this. The rest of you are not enjoying it. Those of you asking me a lot of questions, it's like you are answering the questions now, so they like it. But for those of you who already know these things, oh, this is. Since it takes one hour to get out of the flesh, you need another one hour in prayer for a concrete anointing. Actually, you need two to three hours of prayer or two to three hours in the word to see the glory. You know, God took me through prayer to see his glory. And then he said, Manasseh, you thought that's all there is. I said, yes, it's just prayer. He said, no. So the Lord said, you remember when I asked you to go on a seven day wet fast? Don't pray. Don't do anything. Just read the Bible morning after evening, night until you drop. Do that. For one week? I said, yes. What happened? I said, the third day I was caught up to heaven. He said, what happened again? I said, the fourth day you walk into my room. And for three days you were coming every day. And when you were not going to come, I knew you were not going to come. And I asked you, come back one more time. And you came. And all the experiences were at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. One. Every time he came, it was one. All those four days he came. One in the afternoon. Didn't check the time, but I knew. So the Lord said, okay, so now, this is what I want you to do. Stay in the Word for two to three hours every night and see what happens. Now, I teach that the Word is a person. And this is the mirror of the person. The Bible is the mirror, the graphy. The Word is a person. The Word himself is a person. We know that Jesus is the Word. So these are just like images. You put all together and the whole person forms. So... Your devotion doesn't end when you finish reading your devotional. You stay in the word until you find the person of the word. Until it forms. And it takes two to three hours. And usually you can't do that in the day when there's a lot of noise. You do that at the dead of night. When everybody's asleep, you take your Bible, you just sit down. And then initially you, you have to try anyway, start. But at the point, he now takes over and he navigates. And then you're just in the word. You're just in the word. The word. Two to three hours in the word daily. For a time. You experience the glory. You start to have encounters. And there are things that are clearer. When you have encounters. You know, Kenneth Hagin's books are almost like scripture. In fact, at a point in time, we took Kenneth Hagin's words to be infallible. We thought the man was God. And anything he said on doctrine settled it. You know what? I mean, Jesus comes to teach the man eight hours on prophecy. What do you have to say? And the man has read through the Bible over 120 times. And he knows everything. In fact, sometimes when Jesus is even talking to me, he said, well, I didn't see it in the Bible. Yes. That's the kind of Christian you must be. That even if Jesus himself comes to tell you something, you must say, where is it in the Bible? Because that's how to test the true Jesus and from the Jesus of the latter-day saints. Another Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Because any demon can change into an angel. And say, you know what? 
Uh, I'm Gabriel. And God sent me to come and tell you these things. And a demon can just deceive you. So it must be in the Bible. So when Jesus talks to Kenneth, he said, Well, I didn't find that in the Bible. And then one time he challenged Jesus, and Jesus said, I'll give you three. In fact, I'll give you four scriptures. He said, I'll give you three. So that the mouth read two or three witnesses, the matter is established. Then he said, But I'll give you four. You know, Kenneth Hagin was a prophet, but he loved the teaching ministry. And so he veered from his calling. And uh, he said he became sick. He said, I was as sick as a horse. And the Lord said to him, Kenneth, I will tell you why believers go sick. There are three categories of believers who go sick. Only three reasons why Christians go sick. I'm surprised people don't want to hear things like this. I want to hear things like this. Because why should a Christian be sick? And Jesus came and told him, there are only three reasons why Christians get sick. He said, the first group of Christians who get sick are those who don't know that divine health is a provision for them. They are supposed to be healthy. They don't know. And they don't know because they are not taught. Wow. He said, the second group of believers who get sick are those believers who don't have faith. They fall sick. They don't have faith. They don't believe in divine health and healing. They said the third category of believers who fall sick, like you, can I take in? <laughs> are those who go into disobedience. You know, they go out and the enemy attacks them. So can I take Wow, so what have I done? He said, I called you to be a prophet, but you put your teaching ministry ahead of the prophetic ministry. And you didn't only do that, you have actually veered from the prophetic entirely to become a teacher. And I know, Kenneth, I know why you do it, I know. And that's one thing about Jesus. If you ever had an encounter with Jesus, holding his hand, he tells you, look, when you meet Jesus, you won't have to explain anything. Because he will tell you why you even did what you did. He understands you too well. He will even say it in a better way than you can explain. I'm telling you. No, that man is full of grace. He said, he said, Kenneth, and I know why you do this. It's because the teaching need is very great. That's why you do it. There's a need for people to be taught in the body. I know that's why you do that. The need is great. There's a lot of people who don't know. I know that's why you do that. Number two, you love to teach. That's why you do that. And number three, your friends tell you you teach well, so you do it. <laughs> clap, 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 clap. <laughs> Say he knows me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Somebody sent me a WhatsApp. I'm sure many of you have seen it. A little child went behind Jesus and put his hand behind. I mean, close the eyes of Jesus. You know the way you, you go behind somebody and cover his eyes and say, uh, you know, waiting for the person to mention your name. And Jesus said, when you were a clot of blood in your mother's womb, I knew you. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> And he said to Kenneth again, you have put a teaching ministry ahead of the prophetic ministry. But any time I mention prophets and teachers in the Bible, I put the prophets first. And Kenneth said, where is that in the Bible? And Jesus says, I'll give you three. <laughs> in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. You remember Acts 13? And God has set some in the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Firstly, apostles. Secondly, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. 
You remember Ephesians 4? Where they mention from verse 11, when they mention the office gifts, they mention apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What I'm saying is encounters help you. That's not the primary way God talked to us. The primary way is through the inner witness and then through the word of God. But encounters, they help. Jesus must not appear to you to tell you what he wants you to do. Because he wants you to walk by faith. He will speak to your heart. But encounters help. Number two is faith. And by faith, we're talking about the knowledge of the word. And again, experiential faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Where there's a faith problem, there's a word problem. Where there's little faith, there's little. It's just an issue of little word. Where the word of God is, faith is automatic. Where Rema, Rema, revealed word is in your spirit, faith is automatic. It's the same. And can I say this? Now, I've realized that every spiritual experience and every spiritual thing you do, right, it's called faith. Because see, faith is the work of the word. And also the work of the spirit in your human spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in your human spirit. It refers to the condition of your heart per time. It also refers to the force of your inner man. It refers to the strength of your inner man. Now, I have realized that all this thing about spiritual maturity and anointing and power, the pivot, or the fulcrum, is faith. Is actually a manifestation of your faith. But this is it. As you grow, the most essential part of your growth is the growth in faith. Now, how does the knowledge of God help your faith? Number one, how do you even ask for something that you don't think is available? Or how do you believe God for something which is not available? How do you even lay hold on something which to you is non-existent? So you need to know. First of all, you need to see it. But then you also need an understanding into the word to have faith. By faith we understand. Through faith we understand that the words were freed by the word of God. The Bible says Abraham reasoned that God is by faith. Abraham offered up Isaac when he was tried accounting or reasoning or judging that God was able to raise him from the dead. It was a special understanding. Now, when you read the word of God, you need to understand to build your faith. Let me explain this. That's why you need good teaching to build your faith. That's why I don't tolerate some teachings. Any teaching that won't build my faith, I know it's not from God. I won't take it, not even one second. Pastor Chris says something, and let me say this. If you don't have rhapsodies of realities, get one. If you want to grow. In fact, that's all the manual you need to grow, apart from the Bible. One of the devotions, Pastor Chris said something. He said, a lot of believers think that, first he read all the scriptures as the text. 
That shows how we receive power. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He, when he sent his disciples, he gave them power to drop on slaves. Then he gave all the scriptures. Then he said, our test clearly shows that we get power from the Holy Ghost. And the source of a believer's power is the Holy Ghost. He said, a believer's power doesn't come from prayer. Yes. And I know we, th- we can tell you this for a thousand years and you won't take it. But we too, fine. We don't mind. Not that we don't want you to pray. But your faith should not be the prayer. So what happens to you when you don't pray? That's why you become vulnerable every time you don't pray. People don't get it. I can't remember the last time I prayed before sleeping. But some of you can't sleep if you don't pray. Because the devil will kill you. I don't pray before. I just sleep. I don't mean I don't pray. I pray. But I, it's not like uh, I have to pray. I soak the pillow in the blood. Man! The devil doesn't come to my room. God comes. Once a while, a demon... No, once a while, like once now, a demon may stray into my room. But how long will it last? It just goes in the wrong place and goes. It's God who comes to my room. I don't have to soak my pillow in my blood. Pray that God. Let me not have bad dreams. That's a joke. Actually, when you sleep with the word... See, the last thing to rather do before sleeping is reading the word. When you sleep in the word, you can never have nightmares. Because the word just, you know, the last thing you do before you sleep has a word place. So, this understanding, this basic understanding that the Holy Ghost is my source of power in itself. Or, for example, I know that the Lord is my shield. Whether I pray or not is secondary. You don't get it? That understanding helps your faith. Okay, prophet. Well, I've been praying. I've decided since you said that. I've been praying to this point, but since you said this, I will stop praying. Again, that goes to reinforce the point that prayer is supposed to be a fellowship with God. Surely when you pray, you supply the spirit. And power comes. Surely when you pray, corporate prayer, there's power in it. Surely, because when you fellowship with God, power is released automatically anyway. The next one is maturity. How do you get where you are? Maturity. Simple. You know, some of you, instead of concentrating on spiritual maturity, praying, studying the word, leaving the scriptures to grow you are chasing unnecessary things. You are chasing some strange prophet to tell you about your future, to tell you who to marry, to break a family yoke. Some of you have been breaking family yoke for 10 years now, and I can assure you it will never break. We made it a rule in this church that no prayer warrior takes a microphone and say, every curse in my father's house. You see, when you are doing that, you know what you're doing? You are taking yourself right back to where God pulled you out of. You are not building your faith, you are depleting your faith. Just grow. When you grow up, certainly everything will be taken care of. Just grow in the Lord. Everything, everything is in the growth. Once you grow, everything will be okay. You know some things. You'll be able to do some things. Some things will be available. Just grow. Comprehension. Things coming into perspective. Stability. 
Patience. Number four, the New Testament paradigm. Everybody look at me. You need to go for some of our CDs. You see this Bible? This is the revelation of God and the ways of God. And though the Bible has not been arranged chronologically, in a sense, it's just one flow. So Genesis is the beginnings of the ways of God. Those are the elementary. Then it goes on and climax in Christ. And then you enjoy a further climax in the epistles. Because the epistles talk about the life of Christ. Now, the Old Testament were laws for the natural man, not the spiritual man. Bible said the law was not given for the spiritual man. Somebody who is born again is already above those who are not born again. The whole of the Old Testament. So, where you live is in the New Testament. Now, because the whole Bible is divinely inspired and everything is mixed, that's why the Bible says we should rightly divide it. Sometimes you can find the spirit in certain enclaves of the Old Testament. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. It's not an Old Testament scripture, though you find it in Old Testament. It's a whole sermon grace, God's grace. Because David had revelation into grace. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's grace, brother. But to be sure, when you stay more in the New Testament, you find like 90% spirit and 10% law. Because the book of James, for the greater part, is just law and small spirit. Somebody sent me a WhatsApp about womanhood. And I'm sure that one to you have, you might have watched it or read it. And he says, some very beautiful things. He says, talking about womanhood and praising women. He says, she decides to marry you and follow you all the rest of your life and leave his family. He even changes her name. Her children bear your name. Her body changes because of pregnancy. She grows fat. At the labor ward, she is threatened by death. She keeps the home and makes you happy. All this she does for you. Then the person added, who then is doing who favor? Initially, I saw that as an appreciation of womanhood. And truly, everything stated here is correct. Our women need to be honored. But, again, I sat down. You see, that's what happens to you when you read truth. When you read truth, uh, you are so acquainted with truth, that when something is not truth, immediately... Your spirit begins to tell you there's something wrong with this. There's something wrong with that essentially. There's a flaw. And the basic flaw is this. Why will the appreciation of women always be in contrast with men? So when we want to praise women, then we have to bring the men down before we can praise a woman. That's a general human problem. Do you understand? That even the Bible, even the Bible, 
many times in making a strong statement will have to contrast because of the infirmity of our understanding. So sometimes you are reading, they are admonishing believers. And then they say, okay, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. So a believer reads it to mean, well, if I do this, the wrath of God will come upon me. No, he's not saying the wrath of God. He is just saying that the wrath of God comes upon the disobedient. The wrath of God won't come upon the believer. The wrath of God comes upon the unbeliever. But don't do these things. But he says that in contrast. So immediately you read it. If you are not discerning. You say ah. Okay. He is saying that. If I do this. God's wrath will come upon me. But that's not the New Testament. Because see we are the body of Christ. The day the wrath of God comes upon us. That the day the wrath of God has come upon Jesus. And it's not possible. That's why I believe a believer cannot be cursed. A believer can't go to hell. If you see a believer in hell, then that believer renounced Christ. He, he was no longer a believer. But to say, you know, there's a WhatsApp that goes about. They say, a seven-year-old girl received a revelation from God. This girl is bold and is warning all the pastors. And he said, Jesus told him, you should tell Adeboye that he started well, but he's compromising, so he has no place in him. He's going to hell. And that they should tell Oedipo, what? But what? Thank you. <laughs> they should tell Oedipo that he, he has no place in the kingdom of heaven. And uh, he, they just keep the list. And then there are books and stories, testimonies of people uh, who said they went to hell and they saw a pastor's wife because she was angry and so because of that anger he went to hell and then they saw pastors a lot of pastors because and i say people don't even understand that we don't go to heaven because we are holy salvation is a gift nobody's going to heaven because he did anything right i mean this, this is a basic thing people don't get people don't get it nobody goes to hell because he's sin. People go to hell because they refuse Christ. And because people think that heaven, salvation is an attainment, they don't understand that salvation is a gift. So they keep playing all these tricks and confusing the brethren. Well, people say, well, prophet, but how harmful is it if at least we frighten the people so that they don't sin and they are holy? It doesn't hurt. After all, they will just be holy anyway. The problem with this is this. Let's say you are going this way. Or you are walking. And you decide to take one step forward and another step back. Are you walking? Or you take one step forward and two steps back. That's how some of you read the Bible. That's why you are surprised your faith is the way it is. Today you read good parts of scripture that makes you, you are like God. You are a son of God on top. Then the next day you go and read another scripture, which is actually not about you. But because they contrasted with an unbeliever, or it was in a particular setting, people don't get it. People don't just get it. So, today they are here, tomorrow they are here. Then today they are here. Then tomorrow, then they are here. 
Say the New Testament paradigm. And the other thing is, that's number four, New Testament paradigm and God consciousness. Say God consciousness. Listen, you see, part of the flesh is not just fornication and drunkenness. Religion is also part of it. It's pride. It's pride. You see, that's what Paul had to throw away. So that he'll be justified by the righteousness of Christ. Flesh, religion, is what gives us a pseudo-holiness and a kind of sin-consciousness and devil-consciousness. Are you here? Most holiness messages are actually nothing but a sin-consciousness. I said they don't even know what they're talking about yet. Because they haven't even started yet. Let me say this to you. You see, in the Old Testament, God will frighten people, so they won't sin. But not that they love God. It's just because they are afraid of retribution. So, God knows that it was not true holiness. When you get born again, you're supposed to walk in true righteousness and true holiness. I won't be punished, I won't go to hell, and yet I won't sin. That's true holiness. Are you here? Oh, if I do it, God won't bless me. So it's because I want the blessing, that's why I won't do it. Now, and people sometimes think, well, if there is no reward for holiness, what's the motivation? I didn't say there's no reward for holiness. I didn't say that. You see, that's another thing people don't get. Look, I have talked several times here on the glory. But what I'm saying is that holiness is actually when somebody gets born again. He's cleansed by the blood first. Then he gets washed by the word. His thinking changes. Then he gets sanctified by the spirit. The Holy Spirit. His fellowship with the Holy Spirit breaks him. Things you don't even see. He sees it wrong and stops them. Are you here? And then he goes to the higher level of wanting to die for Christ and things like that. When somebody is full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. That's holiness. When somebody is walking in the fruit of the Spirit, that's holiness. Okay? But my point here is this. You have to win the devil and sin out of your consciousness. If not so, for a long time you'll just be at your level. Can I tell you something? The whole problem about the law in the Old Testament was it was to service the debt and not to pay the debt. So it was a law about the devil and about sin. And I wish you knew who God is. God doesn't share all men. So, because that whole law had something to do with sin and the devil, that whole law has been called the law of sin and death. If you don't win yourself out of sin consciousness and the devil consciousness, it will take a very long time to be holy and to see the glory of God. I know people who won't fornicate, they won't steal, they won't do any bad thing, but they will never see the glory of God. They will never. Maybe until they go to heaven. The first lesson you learn in the things of the Spirit is repentance from dead works. Dead works is actually good works you do when you are a non-believer. All the good things you do. You have to repent from it. A non-believer cannot repent from his sins. 
it's even wrong to tell an unbeliever to repent from his sin. But we didn't know these things. How do you repent from your sin? You stop smoking? Wow. You repent from dead works. You repent from the good works you do. Why as an unbeliever? Now, when you become a believer, you build on the word of God and on the spirit and let the word and the spirit motivate what you do, not the flesh. Simple. But my point here is this. Your conscience must be washed from guilt. It's more important than even a physical sin you commit. When a man is defiled, it's not just a physical thing. This is how Paul puts it. Paul says something. He says, You, the brethren who have knowledge, if you go and offer food offered to idols, because you said, Well, an idol is nothing. There is only one God. And you go and eat a food offered to idols. And the brother with a weak conscience. Do you know that with a brother with a weak conscience? The brother with a weak conscience is the brother without knowledge. His conscience will be emboldened to eat these things. And his conscience, being weak, is defiled. Let me just use this word. You know, I grew up in the farms, okay? My parents were with the ministry of our Greek, so we grew up in all the farms, okay? So we're in all the farms, Ajidome farms, you know, Nungwa farms, we're everywhere. So when I was in the secondary school, we used to come for holidays in, at the farms, my mom's place. And then we sometimes... Go and work at the uh, do holiday job at the Pomazi poultry farm. At that time, it was the second largest poultry farm in the whole of West Africa. And you know, when I was a growing boy, you kill fowl during Christmas, right? Some of you pretend you have not had that experience, but you know very well what I'm talking about. You kill fowls Christmas. It's not like today you have. All kind of vultures being imported in the name of fowls that you eat here and there in fried rice, and you think you are doing something armor. You don't know that you are eating vultures. Anyway, that's just to discourage you from buying fried rice and the rest. Anyway, so as a little boy growing, you know, they take the fowl and they go and hide it at the back. They dig the ground and they do it and they bring it. They don't want you to see it, right? But as we're growing, uh, we're getting used to it. <laughs> Hello? And then you take it and then you kill it then. Now, at Pumasi poultry, sometimes you are dressing like 1,000 birds. And there were no machines. So you just hold the bird, hold the neck and the wings, do this, throw it. There's a way to hold it. You hold the neck and the wings. Those days you dig a hole. It's like a whole funeral rite. Dig a hole. Try to cut it little by little. Put your leg on the distant and on the wing. And try to kill it little by little. And the blood will go into the hole. And it's a whole ceremony. You are killing. No machines. Hands. 1,000 beds. So you throw it. You cut it. You throw it. You cut it. Throw it. You cut it. You throw it. Okay, some of you are not like me again. Say so the guy's a murderer. <laughs> So, <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah, and, and then I forgot about all that experience, 
And you know when you are growing, people do for you what you do, right? So we're in Bowie and I forgot about all the fact that even the fowls we eat, they kill them. Are you getting me? Now, my whole thinking has changed. Then they brought one fowl and they were going to kill the fowl. And I witnessed the killing of the fowl. I almost stopped eating fowl. I just said, God, must they kill this animal? Is it all just for my throat? If it's for my throat, I can sacrifice that so that they will not have to kill this one. Because then I started, I started thinking, ah, so they actually kill these animals. That's for even me, who had worked at Pomazi Poultry Farms before. All of a sudden, I started thinking, no, the vegetarians must be right. This cruelty to animals has to stop. I'm talking about like some seven years, six years ago. I'm a prophet. I've read my Bible through. I know all these things. This thing has to stop. No. Kill this animal. I can eat some vegetables and things and stop eating meat. If they have to kill these animals, this cruelty and things. Ah. That's that. So all these goats, they kill them, all this. Now, if it was not God who helped me, I would have become a vegetarian. You know what the Lord Jesus asked me? So I went to my room. So I said, ah, Lord, uh, this thing is not fair. Killing these animals and things. I think if it's just because of our truth, we can sacrifice it. So that these animals, killing them is cruelty. You know what the Lord told me? He said, when you read 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 and Romans 14 and 15, the brother with a weak conscience, who is the brother with a weak conscience? It is the brother without knowledge. Who is the brother with a weak conscience? So your conscience is weak because you don't have knowledge. He says, so what do you want to be? You want to have a weak conscience or you want to... I'm like, wow. I thought I was being holy. I didn't know I had a weak conscience. The brother with a weak conscience, it is his heart that is defiled. Doing the same thing others do and their heart is not defiled. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying go fornicate. I'm not saying go do steal. Go do anything that is wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But the flesh in itself, you will soon find out that even if you make love to your own wife, you still feel guilty sometimes as if you have sinned. Yes, that's how the flesh is. The flesh is always looking for something to be guilty about. And until you know the word and who you are in Christ, the devil will find a way of putting guilt around you. And what that does is just one purpose. It's death. He just wants to kill your faith. He just wants to make sure that it takes a long time for you to have a strong conscience and solid faith to get what is yours. His trick and plan is always to disqualify you. To disqualify you. To disqualify you. To tell you, no, you don't deserve it. You can't have it. You are not clean. You are sinful. One day, I face the devil and say, Devil, if holiness is easy, I want you to be holy just one day. Now, it's so strange that the epitome of sin, the man called sin, he is trying to tell us we have sinned. When God himself doesn't condemn us. 